Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Volkebaum. Today, we're going to talk about solar freaking roadways. Solar freaking roadways. Yeah, uh, you may have seen the video um, or perhaps even uh, contributed to the Indiegogo uh, uh, campaign. Campaign. Yes, those, that's the word I was looking for. We're going to start off strong here, people, when I can't think of the word for campaign. <laughs> now, the reason why we're doing this is we had two different listeners ask us on Facebook, Kevin uh, and Sherry. Right. They both wanted to hear about this proposal, find out what's the deal behind it, what's the technology behind it. Is it, in fact, a realistic approach? So Yeah, because there's been a lot of hype about it. So thank you guys yeah. so much for writing in. There's been controversy, I think is a safe word to use. There's been at least, if nothing else, a spirited debate. Uh, both sides of the debate. On the internet? Yeah, no. Both sides <laughs> of said debate, both the, the proponents and the critics of said solar roadways, have been... Um, at times, passionate. On the internet? Yeah. That's kind of my gentle tiptoeing around the edge way of saying that there's been some 
fairly reactionary responses on both sides. So uh, we're going to cut through all that and tell you what's going on. Hopefully. And I, you know, both of us are human people who also have opinions about things, but we're, we're, we're going to try very hard to, to be as objective as possible. Yes. And then at the end, we will spew our opinions all over the podcast. So fair warning. Yes. But at any rate, let's start off with just some fun facts. Okay. So fun facts about highways. Fun facts about highways in the United States, to be specific. So the U.S. highway system has four million miles of roads, which is uh, about six million four hundred thousand kilometers. Not many people know this, but Lauren capable of doing miles to kilometer conversions in her head on the fly. It's amazing. So that's according to the National Atlas of the United States. Now, the interstate highway system accounts for only one percent of all highway mileage, but carries 25 percent of total vehicle miles of travel, which to me says take the surface streets. That's what I usually do. Yeah. At any rate, the highways, although they are a great way of moving lots of cars through very quickly, uh, that that's not, you know, more of the roads in our, our country are surface streets. They're not like these big interstates. Uh, certainly. But but um, but highways are, are pretty they, they cover a wide surface area. Nonetheless, yes. the average the average width of a highway lane is 11 feet, which is three point three five meters. Wow. It works on feet to meters, too. That's uh-huh. pretty amazing. OK, <laughs> uh, so that means that if you were to add up all the surface area that these roads are covering in the United States, you would end up somewhere around 17,929 square miles in the United States. Oh, which is 46,436 square kilometers. Holy crap, you can do area too. Uh, if you add in other paved surfaces, so we're talking about things like parking lots, sidewalks, uh, bike lanes, this kind of thing, it ends up being around 25,000 thousand square miles of area or 64,700 square kilometers. Right. So that's a lot of space, a bunch and it's not a, an insignificant amount. It's doing an important job, you know, because some people will say that's space that's not doing anything. No, it is it's in not, fact it's doing not something wasted space. It's certainly providing a service. Yes, it provides us a route to get from one point to another point, specifically in the vehicles that we all depend upon uh-huh, without very much ruining our, our vehicles or yeah. our shoes or. Right. It's it's made out of stuff that is it's got traction to it. It's meant to be uh, as efficient a system as we can really do with with a lot of passive systems. Like it's a very sure. passive system. Yes. And but it's relatively inexpensive and pretty functional. But what would happen if we could make this stuff do double duty, what if instead of just being a way, you know, the, the platform upon which our vehicles travel, it could also help generate energy and offset our need for generating power in other ways? What if we could perhaps turn the entire road system of the United States into a giant solar farm? In other words, we replace the roads with solar panels. We're still driving on them. But now, not only are we but able all to... of that flat space yeah. is being put to further use, or even hilly space. We'll talk relatively about flat that. space. Yeah. So that's where the idea of solar roadways kicked in. Uh, and then to get specific, you have a husband and wife team, Scott and Julie Brusaw, who are the the people behind solar roadways. Uh, right. Scott is by trade an electrical engineer, and right. Julie is a counselor. Yep. And apparently it was Julie's idea 
uh, to put solar panels on roads. That was her. She just said, you know, she and her husband were having a discussion about uh, climate change, about uh, human human contributions to climate change, about pollution, uh, about the fact that a lot of that pollution comes from our dependence upon fossil fuels. And she said, well, you know, I, I realize that solar panel farms like these are not the most efficient ways of getting energy. We've talked about that on this show before, mm-hmm. that even if you're talking like state of the art, top of the line laboratory conditions, at most you're hitting 40 percent under ideal conditions. Reality, it's closer to 20 percent under good conditions mm-hmm. and probably less than that for your average performance. So. Yeah you're losing a lot of the energy that's hitting those panels and you're not necessarily generating a lot of electricity from the energy you're bringing in. Sure. So, but what if we had a lot of them? Yeah. What if we were able to, instead of clearing out land in order to make a solar farm, what if we were able to utilize that space? Those These wide open spaces that we already have, uh, you know, using robust panels that can withstand the, the traffic. Right. And so Scott, uh, in his uh, various videos, there are several videos that Scott, uh, Broussaw is in where he talks about this idea, said that uh, he initially kind of laughed at the idea. And then he thought, well, how would I as an engineer, how would I go about trying to make a, a practical way of implementing her solution? And that was the way solar roadways were born. This was not no. this. You may have only just heard about this, but they've been working on this since the mid 2000s. Right. So 2006, I believe. I think you're right. Yeah. So they started brainstorming these different ways. They came up with this, uh, this solar panel roadway approach. But it does mean that they had to think of other stuff besides, and, and they also went beyond just solar panels, right? Oh, right. You know, they're, they're not just there to collect energy. They would also have, uh, you know, microprocessors in them and LEDs, which would allow you to, uh, you know, like like change the lanes and in, in, on a highway sure. based on traffic patterns or uh, move parking spots around in a parking lot. Right. Like so, for example, uh, the street that is near my neighborhood uh, is a three lane road and it has two reversible or has a reversible lane in the center. Reversible lanes mean that some parts of the day traffic is allowed to go in one direction and in another part of the day. Traffic is allowed to go in the opposite direction and they just end up designating that with a, a there's a sign that hangs above the road that either gives you an arrow saying, yes, you can drive in this lane or, or a X. big red X that says, please don't do that. By the way, I cannot tell you how many times I've encountered people who absolutely have no idea how reversible lanes work. <laughs> they treat it like it's a turning lane. They're a little bit terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, driving in the center lane on that road is something of a crapshoot. At any rate, using this approach, you could actually have the uh, information on the road itself. Those LED lights could spell out which lanes were permissible to use during what parts of the day. Mm-hmm. So uh, you could change it on the fly, uh, responding to dynamic conditions. So if traffic is suddenly very heavy coming from one direction versus the other, you could change the lanes in a safe way. Mm-hmm. Um, or, like you said, you could do things like in a parking lot, designate different types of spaces. Perhaps if you were expecting to have a big motorcycle convention, like some parts of the country do, mm-hmm. then you could end up having a bunch of motorcycle parking spots as opposed to full-sized car spots. That kind of stuff. And it's interesting because it means you could change things based upon whatever conditions were at the time. That's not the only thing these could do, though. Oh, yeah. Um, they... Also proposed to incorporate uh, heating elements so that you could melt any kind of any kind of ice or snow. 
on the roadway. Thus uh, being able to prevent terrible, terrible driving conditions. Right. Sure. And you wouldn't have to use a plow or actually you can't use a plow on one of these roads because if yeah. you did, you'd end up scraping the the, the glass. The glass covering. Used. Yeah. Um, but but also um, providing providing an infrastructure for carrying that collected energy, collected energy and yep. big technical quotation marks right um <laughs> uh, to 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 get it to places that need it so in other words there'd be a, a kind of a corridor that would run alongside the road mm-hmm. which is... would help deal with the runoff from that aforementioned snow and ice yes yes you would have uh, two parts of that corridor one part would be a storm drain which would even include perhaps a filtration system and pumps to move water to where it might actually be used so you could in theory treat the water on site on the road, essentially, as it's running off, you can treat it so it ends up being useful and then pump it someplace like an aquifer or for agricultural purposes mm-hmm. uh, or to another water treatment facility if the water is particularly janky. And <laughs> I then, think that's the technical term. And, yes. and then you could have the, the cable corridor, which would allow you to put power cables so that it could uh, uh, transmit the collected energy to some other system. Mm-hmm. A lot of this, by the way, it sounds like we're being vague. It's because right now the team is really focusing on the solar panel part. Right. And and, the- and all of this is is kind of interesting other ideas that they're drawing into it. Um, yeah. Oh, also reaching further out into the future, incorporating a lot more of, of smart elements to the roadways. Yes. Of, you know, doing things like if um, if a kid is crossing the street, having the street interact with your car to tell you there's a kid up there. Don't hit that kid. Right. And maybe even the part of the street the kid is on lights up so you can see that in the distance as well. Visibly. Right. So, yeah, it would have to have some sort of pressure sensors in there Uh that that would somehow be able to differentiate when a kid is on there versus, say, someone on a bike or a car or, you know, but Uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. uh, Right. Right. But, you know, all, all kinds of interesting stuff like that is stuff that they talk about in their promotional material. Yeah. And, and they, they, Obviously, in order to get uh, support, because it was an Indiegogo campaign, which means it's crowdfunded, mm-hmm. you know, they were asking people to to contribute money to this project so that they could test the feasibility of it. You know, keep in mind, this is to test the feasibility, not saying that this is going to to launch them into implementing this on a wide scale. We'll get into more about that in a second. Right. But um, it also. uh was a way of saying, hey, look, we can improve our infrastructure in multiple ways. Uh, if there is a, dam- a damaged panel, someone could pop out there, knock a panel out, put a new panel in, and they're done. It's none of this put a big sheet of metal over a pothole business that uh-huh. happens in Atlanta all the time. Or that uh, we'd be able to take all the power cables and telephone cables and take them off of suspended lines. And bury them within this roadway. Yeah. In that cable corridor, which means that uh, when you have really bad weather, you don't have to worry about those power lines being right. snapped by ice or something. And then uh, becoming a hazard to anyone who happens to be walking by. Now, in order to go from this sort of brainstorming proposal idea to reality, they they noticed that there were some pretty significant challenges. Sure. Um, you know, first of all, you... Photovoltaics are very delicate. Yes. Um, so you're going to need a really strong surface in order to protect them from, you know, trucks. Yes. Exactly. Trucks. Yeah. That's... You'd have to have something that was going to keep them from breaking under the 
the consistent pressure they would be under from vehicles running over them. Uh, particularly if you're talking about like a highway where you've got hundreds of thousands of vehicles in uh, any given month. And some of those being incredibly heavy, like trucks pulling huge amounts of cargo. Mm-hmm. You've got to have something that's going to withstand that kind of uh, that kind of wear and tear. Uh, right. In order to accomplish this and also, you know, have it be transparent uh, yes. so that it can also collect sunlight. Yeah. As it turns out, if you made it really super strong, but it was opaque, the solar panel part has has problems. <laughs> right. Um, uh, tempered glass, they figured, is the best way to do this. Yeah. Uh, the problem, one of the problems with tempered glass is that you can't really paint on it. Yeah, so that's why they came up with the idea of using the LEDs right. to demonstrate light. That meant that they were going to have to pick some pretty bright LEDs. We'll talk about that when we get to the the criticisms part. Uh, sure. Um, but yeah, then uh, also they wanted to make sure that the, the light was going to pass cleanly through that glass. Sure. So the glass needs to be clear. It can't be, you know, if if you have a colored glass, that that's telling you immediately that there are certain wavelengths, wavelengths of light that are, that are never going to get there. Yeah, they're yeah. not going to go through. They're so, necessarily reflecting. So. You, so you want that to be clear glass. Uh, and, and it needs to be arranged in a way that um, the, the physical arrangement of any kind of coating uh, on top of photovoltaics is going to have very much to do with the way that light refracts and, and reflects down through it. Yeah. So it's that ends up affecting the, the efficiency right. of that particular solar panel. They said that they, these solar panels would be around 15 yeah. percent efficient, although, as far as I know, no independent testing has been done of these solar panels. Not that I'm aware of, although so, they do currently only have a very small test patch of that's this true. built out. So that's true. Um, uh, yeah. S- speaking of, I mean, you know, the, the road systems like Jonathan talked about at the top of the show uh, are big. Yeah. We've got a lot of them. Yeah. And so one of the big challenges that they really haven't addressed yet uh, you know, they're looking at it from the positive perspective, which I totally understand. They uh-huh. say, like, look at this. This is going to create millions of jobs. But millions of jobs means you have to pay those people. Uh, and it also means that you're going to run into a lot of uh, equipment costs and mm-hmm. manufacturing costs, materials. What are you going to do while you are retrofitting a, a highway? You know, what what exactly is going to take place with this? Because we don't even know what their proposal is for the replacement part. Sure. We don't know. Does it mean that they're going to place solar panels on top of pre-existing infrastructure? Are we going to have to dig up all of the roads? Right. What? Where are people going to drive while that's going on? Uh You know, there are a lot of questions here that are going to be uh, uh, big challenges. And And um, of course, you know, there's cost, like we kind of just said, attached to all of this. Not only logistical costs, but... Very real money dollar costs. Yes. Or as very real as money and dollars ever are. Right. That's a entirely different conversation that we've also had. Yes. But uh yeah, I mean, these are things that they had to take into account. All right. So the first prototype they built was a rectangular prototype. Mm-hmm. It was or square really, because it was it was twelve feet by twelve feet. And that's about three point seven meters. Holy cow, you're on the ball today. All right, so yeah, it was this. It was really to test the idea to to try the LEDs uh, to create the microprocessors that communicate with each other. They do so wirelessly, by the way. They they do this uh, kind of messaging system between them. Huh. Um, the the videos are pretty cool. Like he showed. Uh, I guess it's. I, I assume it's his daughter who stands on a panel that's separate from the 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 huge solar panel, the twelve foot one. Uh huh. 
And uh, when she steps on it, it creates that flashing uh, pattern on oh. the panel she mm-hmm. steps on. And then it spells out slow down on, on the, the test one. panel. Yeah, the giant one. Uh, then he also did things like created a maze, a little like Pac-Man style maze that kids could run through on this Cute. solar panel. Uh-huh. Just really showing that the LEDs could, in fact, show. Could all be robust. Sorts of, yeah, yeah, they could be all sorts of different patterns. Um, so that was the first uh, prototype. But that, of course, is not what the the uh, current panel looks like. The current panels are uh, hexagonal in shape. I'll talk about that in a second. Now, they decided to use glass, like we said, to be the protective layer because mm-hmm. it, it lets light pass through. And the compression strength is is good. Now, they, they keep on saying it's somewhere between steel and stainless steel for compression. Now, keep in mind, there are lots of different types of strength. Oh, right. Right? There's tensile strength. There's compressive strength. There's the, the, you know, how, uh, how impact sort of strength. There's all these kind of different approaches that you have to look at. Uh, and in fact, they needed to find a glass that was going to be shatterproof, mm-hmm. uh, which not that unusual. I mean, we've seen bulletproof glass. So it's not like this kind of stuff doesn't exist. Oh, sure. And, and tempering glass is, I, they, they talk about it on the site and it's one of the things that they get very right, I think. And, and as far as I know about material science, yeah. that, that the tempering process does more or less. Yeah. Uh, that that thing of, of making things very strong and, and can also involve, um, you know, shatter resistant coatings or, mm-hmm. you, you know, the, the kind of glass that's used, for example, in car windshields. Sure. To uh, that that will crumble rather than sharding. Right. Right. You won't end up with these these incredibly sharp shards of glass. Right. You would have the this sort of glass rubble mm-hmm. that would be. Yeah. You know, a pain to clean up, but not so dangerous. Yes, less less dangerous. Um, and they also needed to pick one that they could add a, a texture to the top of, so that uh, vehicles could have traction yeah. on them. That's kind of important because if you would imagine just driving a vehicle over, you know, like a glass mirror, that yeah. would suck for everyone it's, involved. Yeah. Now, now to be fair, rubber against glass is that you get some it's decent okay. traction, but add water to that because I don't know if you've been outside, but sometimes it rains. <laughs> And sometimes it rains when you need to drive somewhere. Occasionally. So they were looking at uh, raising, like they, they have actually another hexagonal pattern on top of this giant hexagon that is repeated that creates the uh, the texture so that uh, it helps tires grip the road. Um, they claimed that the gripping tests were uh, outperformed asphalt. Uh I don't know exactly how all those tests were conducted, but uh, that's that's the claim. Yeah, I also believe that they claim that the the pattern of the glass acts like a like a prism to help direct the light down into the photovoltaics beneath it. Right. And as for the LEDs, those are light emitting diodes. We right. talked about that in the past. Uh, diodes are very basic electronic components. One of the basic components in electronics. So anyone who happens to have worked with electronics, like if you build a circuit, you've probably at some time or another wired an LED to some sort of circuit. They don't require a lot of energy. They can put off a, a fairly bright light, depending upon the LED that you're using. Um, Scott Brusaw also claims that the prism-like nature of those hexagons that Lauren was just talking about also allow the LEDs to project light out six different ways. I have no idea what that means. I think he's talking about, um, you know, for, for that pattern yeah Techn- oh i see i see yeah capacity right right um it's certainly interesting uh anyway then we got the heating element uh right which are you know similar to the wires that might run through your your rear windshield right. that, that help you defrost your car in the winter yep and uh 
he says, Broussard says, that the tests showed that heat, the heating element works well and can prevent snow and ice from forming on the road itself. Uh, they show off a, a single solar panel hexagon. test photos, yes, yeah. surrounded by others covered in snow that have not had the heating element turned on. Right. Uh, then you would have some form of other sensors in the in the panel because you would have to have them in order to detect pressure for that, right. for that other element we were talking about where an animal or child or something else is in the road and thus the road is detecting that and alerting the drivers to it so that they can prepare themselves. Like I could see this being really useful in lots of different ways. Like oh, sure. uh, in California, uh, my wife and I went on a road trip where we went down a road that frequently would get covered up by by mudslides during oh. the rain and it was pouring down rain and sure enough we had to skirt uh, around a couple of mudslides and when you've got a precipitous drop to the Pacific Ocean on the other side of it that's a, a somewhat of an uh, a nerve-wracking experience working remotely where you are shouldn't dictate what you do work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi on the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. 
In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, I mentioned that the microprocessors had little Wi-Fi elements in them that allow them to talk to each other. And communication bits, yeah. Yeah, the important part of that would be uh, one of the important parts of that, besides sending the messages so that the right messages are, are displayed to drivers so that they're alerted to changing conditions, is that if a panel were to malfunction, let's say it was hit by lightning or some other thing damaged it, maybe a person, who knows, there are some issues with that as well. But let's say something damages a, a one of these hexagons. What's going on uh, in the microprocessors is that they're constantly sending out little signals little to each pings, other. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like, so, hey, are you there? Oh, you're there. Hey, yeah. are you there? Oh, you're there. Uh, so if one of them stops responding, then uh, the rest can send a message down the line to get a technician out there to replace that guy. Yeah. So the technician gets a message saying, hey, this one panel that's at mile marker 73, uh, it's the third one over from the edge of the road. Needs to be replaced. They can go out there. Uh, you know, the the lane itself can actually help direct traffic around the work area. The worker could then pop the the dead panel out, put a new panel in, and program it with a little handheld computer device, and supposedly be in and out in like ten minutes, and then take the the broken solar panel back for repairs. Um, at least that's the way it's being presented. Now, uh, what they have actually created so far is this little test strip that I mentioned earlier, uh, a sort of parking lot outside of their workshop. It's Mm -hmm. 12 feet wide by 36 feet long, which is... uh, I got 3.7 meters by 11 meters. (laughs) It's not a contest. Um, (laughs) Been looking ahead at those notes all podcast long and doing calculations in my head. Uh, This little little test strip is, is... Meant to be a test strip. It's, it's a little environment for them to work out every, everything from, you know, from the stress tests to the electronic components right. functionality. Making sure the heating elements are working, make mm-hmm. sure the LEDs work. Uh, they've driven a smallish tractor across it to kind of demonstrate that it can withstand the pressure of a vehicle. But that's it is a smallish tractor and it is not moving very quickly. That's not to say that they haven't done other tests. Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, they, they've been working on this project. They, in fact, received a few grants from the Department of Transportation and mm-hmm. specifically the um, Federal Highway Administrations to, uh, I, I think, along the lines of, of like $750,000. And then their, Indigo- their Indiegogo uh, project funded. Right, right. More so than funded. Yeah, and yeah, let's talk about that Indiegogo campaign. Okay, sure. so, so like, like we said, this project has been going on since about 2006, but it really went viral in 2014 when they opened up this Indiegogo campaign yeah. on April 21st, which is the day before Earth Day, which is very clever marketing. Yep. And, uh, they talked all about what this potential project could do in an ideal implementation. Mm-hmm. Their tagline, um, which, which I think is telling about many things about the project, is, I'll quote, quote it for you guys, solar panels that you can drive, park, and walk on. They melt snow and, 
cut greenhouse gases by 75 percent, question mark, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Triple in Terabang. Yes. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. They they've extended the campaign. Uh, right. Uh, as of this recording, we are recording this show on June 12th, 2014. They have more than doubled their campaign goal of a million bucks and still have nine days left. Yeah. So they've successfully funded. More uh, than successfully. Yeah. And um, so what was that? What's that million dollars for exactly? Well, although the campaign page does suggest all of these huge possibilities for the future that we talked about uh, earlier on in the show, that million dollars is really just for hiring an initial team of engineers, and I quote, to help us make a few needed tweaks in our product and streamline our process so that we could go from prototype to production. And they were hoping to go into production by the end of 2014. That's 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 ambitious. Yeah, that that's one way of putting it. That is incredibly ambitious because, uh, you know, even if they produce, they then have to have a place to put them. Um, but we'll we'll talk more about that in a second. Yes. Um, so that, this this campaign really went viral with the help of a particular video at the very beginning of this podcast. I talked about solar freaking roadways. Solar freaking roadways. Solar freaking roadways. Yeah, it, it was produced by the team and repeatedly uses the phrase solar freaking roadways. Yeah. Uh, you probably have seen it. If you, you, I know it went viral on Facebook. Yeah. I saw it posted by a lot of my friends. I saw it on, on Tumblr and Twitter as well. Um, and yeah. it has, in fact, set an Indiegogo record for the number of individual backers attached to a single project. Currently, it is sitting at 46,387. All right. Which in metric is a lot. Yes, that is a lot. It's we're, the, we're same, not gonna make the, it's the make, same number. Same number. But, you know, <laughs> but but they, they are all based on a, a specific person who's kept in a vault in Switzerland. Uh Moving on to the critics, or as some have uh, termed them, the haters. So here's the thing. You put any idea up online, people are going to respond to it in multiple ways. Some people yes. some people will likely be supportive and some people will be critical. Sure. Not, not necessarily in an effort to be mean or nasty, although that often happens too. That's frequently a side effect, yeah. But sometimes it's just to say, um, hang on. So there have been multiple responses to this video uh, in, in that are critical in nature. Uh, and again, some of them are, are more kind of measured and saying, I, I do not understand how they are going to achieve X. Some of them are a little more direct, saying there's no way they could possibly achieve X. And some of them are like, you are stupid if you think you can achieve X. <laughs> You're stupid and your face is stupid and your yeah. cat is stupid. Your mom is stupid. Yeah. Yeah. So at any rate, we wanted to talk about some of the criticisms. And, uh, more, and, more of those former reasonable ones, yeah. less the cat thing. Some, some of them got a little snarky and we might as well. But at any rate, uh, there's a website called uh, Jalopnik. That sent a request to another electrical engineer, because you may remember we said Scott Broussard is an electrical engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, this electrical engineer is named Dave, David Forbes. So this is, we're talking about a person named Forbes, not, not the magazine. Sure. Uh, and they asked him to evaluate this solar roadways proposal. And Forbes listed some, some concerns and said that the campaign was, quote, so flawed that I don't know where to start, end quote. Specifically, he pointed out the problem with costs. Uh, that installation time would be incredible and thus the expense for paying people to install all of these panels into roads would also be incredible. 
said that laying an asphalt road pretty much involves using an enormous machine that does all the work for you. You just walk along to make sure the machine is still working properly. Uh huh. But this would take really intensive human labor. Yeah, because laying down these hexagonal panels would be more of a human job, less、right. than a machine job. So. If you're just re- talking about replacing one road, I mean, just think of a typical road in your area, and imagine having to replace all of that panel by panel with these hexagonal panels that are a couple of feet across, less than a meter across, and you you have to replace the whole thing. That's significant, and、yeah. we're talking about potentially, like, if you're if you're taking the video at face value, eventually replacing all roads. Yeah, that's. And that enormous, and, and that also includes the time it takes to either prep the existing road surface、yeah. or to tear it, tear it right up. I would imagine you would have to tear it up. I cannot imagine just putting the panels on top of it because where, where are the, where's the power coming out of? Like if if these solar panels are collecting energy, how do you get that energy from the solar panel to anything else that、oh, would、yeah. actually be useful? And they were also talking so much about about the trenching, the the,、yeah. the cable trenches and all, and the runoff trenches and all that kind of stuff.、So. Now, if somehow the hexagonal panels interlock so that they can become kind of a channel for power, I suppose you could end up having just one side of it be the the section that connects to a larger cable, and then the panels in that row would all feed through. Out, yeah, but. I don't know that that's the case because certainly the the signals that's sending back and forth are through this wireless microprocessor. It's not a circuit that's connected by edge to edge contact. So I don't think that's actually how it's happening. Which means you have to wire each individual panel to your conduit that is taking the energy from the panel and sending it to wherever it needs to go. All right, that's before you even get to the point of where does the power go. <laughs> Because you can't just magically make it go to where it needs to be. You actually have to build the infrastructure in there, little transmission stations to collect that power and send it on, and change the 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 voltage of it. I mean, that's why we have transformers because we need to be able to. You know, there's lots of problems, and then there's the current issue: voltage versus current. Lots of problems there.、Um, that not to say that it's insurmountable or that they don't have answers to those those questions, but I haven't seen them. I have not either. So that would mean that you have to rip up all that road. So first, you got to rip up the road before you even do anything else. Then you have to prepare the ground that you've just ripped up for laying the solar panels down. Uh huh. And then you have to lay the solar panels down. So this is a, a monumental job. Yes. All right. Um. Also, that that expense issue. You know. Okay. Solar panels, just from a materials cost. Yes. Just the silicone in them. Silicon. Silicon. Just the silicon in them. Yeah. Is really expensive. Also LEDs. Also glass. All of these things. I mean, you're you're talking about twenty five thousand square miles of material. Ultimately, you're talking about so just twenty five thousand square miles of glass would be expensive. And yes, it gets less expensive per unit when you're buying in volume. In bulk, but 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 even so, that expense can only go down so far before、right. you finally have hit. At cost, and、yeah. it's never going to be less than that. Certainly. So there's that issue.、Um, um, and then Forbes brought up an interesting warning about、um, about the possibility if you have these complex electronics. Yes. What happens if someone、uh, whimsically decides to mess mess with that? Yeah. Let's say that you have these microprocessors all 
communicating wirelessly to each other? What happens if a hacker is able to uh, manipulate that system and is able to insert some malicious commands so that a command that normally would say slow down doesn't show up or they end up changing all the lanes or they change the lanes looking like, like that reversible lane example I was telling you. What if from both sides of travel, they make it look like that center lane is the appropriate lane? That's bad times. Yeah, that's bad times. That's that's crash times. Yeah. Not good times. So, I mean, whether or not uh, that particular system would be easy to hack or not easy to hack, I guarantee you someone would try to do it. And eventually, if someone is determined enough, they would be able to do something. If nothing else, maybe disrupt it so you just have a big blank slate that you're driving on. That alone would be difficult because oh, you sure. don't have any lanes at all. Then you just have an enormous wide road. It'd be yeah. like be like our highway system turned into all those country lanes I went on in Ireland where you're like, I don't even know if this is for two-way traffic. <laughs> or this is a thing that Forbes did not bring up that that, that I remember seeing. But uh, but what if you just got a blue screen? Yeah. Yeah. If essentially you had what to if your microprocessors the... crash? And, yeah. yeah. But now, presumably, if you had maybe just one crash, you would get that, you know, the, the person or the entity that oversees that, that signal road. and the technician and the whole thing. But yeah. if you're talking about something that ends up perhaps affecting a wide stretch of road, then you've got some serious problems. And then, yeah, sending someone out to reset a single panel, that's and then making sure that person is safe. While they are doing it, I mean, it's this is not necessarily easy. Other critics brought up lots of other concerns like traction. What happens when the glass gets wet? Mm-hmm. Um, some people talked about the glass's resilience to scratches. So, you know, road, it's not just rubber that's hitting those roads. It's dirt and sand and oh, all, all sorts kinds of little stuff. weird, gritty particles in the, you know, claws of animals. Right. Whatever. So that ends up getting uh, end up ends up getting rubbed in as the as the tires go over the road. Uh, sand especially could cause scratches in yeah. the glass because sand is made of glass. Yep. And ends up possibly making it more opaque, which means that less light can actually get through. Or at the very least, uh, bouncing around light in ways that are not ideal to getting it down to the photovoltaic layers. So then your your energy collection becomes less efficient. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind that one of the big claims, we didn't really mention this, but that one of the big claims of this is that if this were deployed throughout the entire United States and did replace all those paved areas we had talked about, According to the claim, we would be producing three times the amount of energy we currently consume. So that's not to say that we would suddenly be in a, a energy surplus and we'd have more energy than we need, because as we've all seen, uh, we'll we'll use that surplus yeah, real quick. We find ways. Yeah, huh. it, it, we don't we don't suddenly have a bounty. We just have a larger pool that we work in. At any rate, other uh other criticisms were that LED visibility in bright light might be an issue. There's there's debate on this because it depends on how, how it's implemented. Uh, yeah, I feel like this is, I mean, it's certainly a concern, you know. Yeah, because, you know, but we, we've got signs and, and uh, traffic signals that use LEDs, but that's usually in a perpendicular plane right. to where sunlight's coming down. If it's if the sun's directly overhead and it's a really bright day, uh, there is some question about whether or not the LED lanes would be visible. Yeah. At night, it'd be great. Oh, it would be perfect at night. A bright sunlight situation during the day, unless those prisms uh, that that Scott was talking about are really very well aligned. Yeah. 
it and somehow direct the light so that you can actually see it even in the brightest of sunlight. Right to and your eyeballs. It's possible. I, sure. I just haven't seen any demonstration of it. By the way, we should also men- mention uh, their workshop is in Idaho, about an hour from the border from Canada. So their sunlight conditions are slightly different than, say, here in Georgia. Sure. But they also get a lot more snow. Uh, so there's that as well. Then there's the question, speaking of snow and ice, about is that really the most efficient way to melt it, to, to use a heating element, uh, to, is that, or does it mean that you're actually using more energy oh, yeah. to get rid of that snow and ice than you would if you were to say use, uh, salt trucks and plows? And, uh, you know, it all depends on how much snow there is, how cold it is. Um, it also keep in mind that when it's snowing, there's a problem when you're using a solar panel-based technology. Uh, because in the middle of a snowstorm, you're not getting as much sun yeah. as you would during other times. Right, yeah. A- any sun, probably. Yeah, the sunlight factor is, is kind of a non-factor in that case. Not to mention, like, if it snows at night, you know, then you've right. got the double problem. Uh, which, so you need to power this heating system in some yeah. way. And so that means you would be pumping power from back the... Back in. Yeah. Yeah. So... Then you have the problem of now, granted, if the United States had one giant smart grid where power could route from any part of the United States to any other part of the United States at will, that would be a non-issue. That is not how it works. No, at all. We have regional power grids and most of them are working at capacity. Yeah. And uh, there are definitely some remote areas that would have a huge problem with this kind of thing under our current infrastructure. Yeah. So that is a real issue there. Also, there's just the question of if it's made up of tiles, that means you do have edges. You have these these places where tiles meet up against each other. Uh-huh. So there's the possibility of stuff getting between those edges and disrupting the 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 road system that way. Mm-hmm. For instance, just water that's freezing. And sure, maybe the water on the surface of the tiles doesn't freeze because it's heated. But maybe water getting between tiles could freeze and then expand and push these tiles apart. Uh-huh. Or, you know, the ground moves. Yeah. The ground can change. I mean, ground can change for lots of reasons, not just earthquakes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if, if trees or other plants are growing nearby, root systems can disrupt the shape of a flat, otherwise flat ground surface. Anyone who's walked along any sidewalk that's made oh, up yeah. of these panels has probably seen cracks in the sidewalk, which comes from the movements in the ground and thus the movements of the the material itself, you know, material can expand and contract as the heat changes, right? Oh, certainly. I mean, you know, furthermore, anytime it rains, the ground is changing dynamically with that rainfall. Uh, no matter how well you seal a roadway off, it's never going to be completely perfect. Right. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. 
But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So then we've got some other criticisms too. Yeah, you've got the um, hardness of glass versus the softness of of asphalt. Asphalt bends with your car as you're driving over it. And this is intrinsic to the way that people design cars. By the way, Car Stuff is about to record an episode about solar roadways. It should be publishing... This week. Yeah, right around the same time that this episode publishes. Mm-hmm. So, well, well, we'll try to remember to uh, drop a link out to it on social. I, I hope that this is one of the things that they're going to talk about because I find I, I'm a little bit clueless about how that entire thing works and mm-hmm. I'm interested to hear more about it. Well, on top of that, I mean, when you think about it, the, the solar panels, all that weight, sure, you've got the glass that's protecting the, the solar panel technology, but it's not like the glass just absorbs all the force. Right. That force still is going to be going through the solar panel and then into the the base of the solar panel uh depending upon what the ground is beneath it i don't i don't know how it's able to do this without damaging the solar panel material uh if uh that could also create wiggle room i mean you're talking about tiles right so if you're driving over uh the edge of a tile like imagine that the pressure it's not constantly pressing straight down on the tile it's moving across the tile uh-huh uh, like like a rolling pin across dough if you've ever tried to roll out cookie dough yeah. you you know that it's actually a, a little bit of work to get that surface flat and even because you're working with a curved surface yeah. that's going to affect things slightly differently so you could end up creating uh like tiles could be wiggling at the edges and then they could become uneven if they become uneven then you have other edges that are sticking up higher than the the one next to it. 
So then it becomes a bumpy surface to drive on, perhaps even a dangerous one. Sure. Uh, these are all criticisms that people have made uh, that, you know, it doesn't mean that the implementation won't somehow address them, but it's stuff that hasn't. Uh, hasn't really been covered so yeah. far by by the team. Exactly. Um, oh, and a couple more before we transition away. Um, the the question there's a question of whether tires could leave tread marks on the glass, mm. uh, adding to the opacity and reducing the efficiency. Right. Um, and also the loudness of a car traveling at speed over glass. Um, one of the one of the things that makes roads noisy is the material that that road is made of. Um, and any kind of gaps or cracks in the material tend to produce a lot of noise. Right. And so if you're working with a whole bunch of tiles, uh, that's a lot yeah. of gaps and cracks. And, and also just, I mean, the surface of the glass is different from asphalt. And so it, yeah. it, it could it could hypothetically be very noisy. If you ever have driven over a road that's made of brick, for example, mm-hmm. then you've probably heard the difference, not to oh, mention yeah. felt the difference, huh. but uh, but definitely heard the difference. And now these these panels are larger than that. So you would uh, actually th- that would mean that the noise could be even more irritating, actually. Yeah. But uh, no. yes. So. so all of these materials problems. And then there is the price. Yes. Of course, it is completely impossible to say exactly how much the project would actually cost if undertaken so massively, you know, with all of the lowest bidder manufacturing and installation costs that any government project mm-hmm. has. But what we do know is the cost of asphalt, um, which is variable at some three to 15 bucks per square foot once installed, depending on a whole number of factors. Right. Um, and we know the rough cost of solar panels, the very rough cost, really. It's it's currently some 70 to 75 cents per watt of capacity for consumer installation um, with a square foot of solar panel comprising some 8 to 10 watts, which means that you're talking about like five bucks to seven and a half bucks per square foot for the photovoltaics alone. Right. And on top of that, the cost of micro con- microprocessors, uh, the other sensors that are involved. The, uh, the, the glass. One YouTuber glass, that yeah. you looked at had done some numbers on the glass. Yeah, Thunderfoot is the name of the YouTuber who uh, has a 28-minute long video that's a critique of this project. Uh, and, and Thunderfoot is... he He's a little less diplomatic than other people, but he... On he, YouTube? On YouTube. But he makes some very interesting points that, you know, th- these are concerns that have to be answered. And one of those was just he, he was just looking at the sheer amount, no pun intended, of glass <laughs> needed for this project. If you're talking about twenty five thousand square miles of roads and he, through his calculations, he said, well, just based upon the amount that this glass cost and the uh, the amount of area, um, I come up with twenty trillion dollars just for the glass. That's more money than what I think anyone is prepared to pay for. Uh, yes, <laughs> I have seen estimates around the Internet ranging close to 50 to 60 trillion dollars for the total cost of the project. To put this in perspective a little bit, the annual budget that the Department of Transportation asked for for the National Highway Association uh, in 2014 was 41 billion dollars. So less than a tenth of what this would potentially cost according to could, some people could potentially cost maybe now solar roadways has responded to a lot of these criticisms not necessarily effectively in my in my opinion but one of the things like for instance for the cost 
their response to the cost, I don't think, was a real response, again, in my opinion. Uh-huh. Um, they said, essentially, we don't know how much a panel is going to cost yet because we haven't cost out the prototype because this is all stuff that we're buying off the shelf to make a working concept. Uh, right. We and don't have a production model yet. Right. This The dollars that we are getting from our Indiegogo campaign are going to people who are very intelligent and are going to help us make this cost efficient. So... They don't. So their response to it doesn't cost 50 or 60 trillion dollars because we don't know how much it costs yet. That's I mean, it's a fair response in the sense that they don't have a figure, but it also. Uh, yeah, means that- and, and it is it is fair when they say that um, any journalist who reports on the exact number that's going to cost doesn't know what they're talking about, because technically none of us know what we're talking right. about. Now, it, that doesn't mean that it won't cost 50 or 60 trillion dollars. Yeah, it might. It might cost more than that. Yeah. Depending upon what the final cost of any individual solar panel is, uh, it may cost more than that to outfit the entire United States. The point they were making is that we don't know yet, so don't report those numbers because I don't know why they're so concerned. Their Indiegogo project is already funded, so they can at least uh, continue on and see how feasible this is. But it's one of the responses. And it was actually a flexible, flexible funding one, which means that even if they hadn't reached their full funding amount, uh, the money that people had given to the project would have still. Most of it would have gone to them. Well, Indiegogo uh, takes a bigger oh, sure. chunk on that case. But sure. yes, uh, then some of the other refutations they had didn't seem to address what the concern was. Uh, for example, that criticism about heating roadways being inefficient and expensive compared to, say, using a snowplow. Their response first was that um, driving in the win- in the winter during ice or snowstorms is dangerous, which no one no had, one was arguing. Yeah, no one had questioned. Every that's that's evident that driving in those conditions is dangerous, and therefore uh, reducing those conditions is a good thing. No one disagrees with that. Then they also said that it's expensive to run snow plows and uh, salt trucks, that kind of thing. No one said it wasn't. Expensive. Right. Also, not a question. No, they were saying, is it, you know, prove to us that your approach of using heat is more efficient and more cost effective than this other one? Because, again, if you are in an area that needs this service, you are also in an area where you're not generating that electricity dynamically. Right. And unless you have some magical way of getting the electricity from sunny places to the places that are under lots of snow... That means you're pouring power into the system and that trying to melt snow or ice, it it, ca- it requires a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And so if you're having to use a lot of energy, then that means that it might be costing you more money in the long run to use that method than to use a snowplow. And you can't use a snowplow on this type of road. So once it's there, you're stuck with yeah, it. Yeah, you're stuck with it until you can melt it. Uh, so one thing that I haven't seen addressed that I did want to mention is that Okay, solar energy is wonderful in theory. I've talked about this on the show before, I think. Um, and costs and manufacturing practices are improving all the time. But as it stands, it is not completely green. It, this no. is not necessarily a super Earth-friendly technology. It, it is frequently better in the long run than some other things. But okay, the thing is, is that solar panels are made with rare earth elements, uh, so-called not because they're all that rare. They're actually fairly common, but rather because they're found in very small concentrations in surrounding ore. Mm-hmm. Refining them is really difficult and can involve some truly scary chemical processes. Uh, right now, most of this is done in China because they're cheapest 
from China, mostly because the mines are state-run, their employees are terrifically underpaid, and their practices are blatantly irresponsible. We're talking about these sites, which are situated smack in the middle of residential areas, dumping, you know, like toxic sulfuric acid vapor into the local air and radioactive thorium into the local water systems. It is a really huge concern. Right. So while the generating of electricity itself is green, the generating of the solar panels is not. It's not. Uh, and, and of course, you know, the, these, these mines in China are, these irresponsible mines in China are not the only ones producing the materials for our right. solar panels. I don't want to represent that because that would be untrue. And, and I do believe that there are many places that are working towards much better Systems, but still a current concern. And anyone who's listened to, uh, there's an old tech stuff episode on rare earth minerals as well, where we really go into the detail of what they are and why there's this, this problem with them. And also, you know, th- everything from the issues you were just talking about, Lauren, to, to artificial scarcity, where you have a country like China, uh, restricting how much they will deport, uh, how much they will export, not deport. How much they'll export <laughs> right. to yes. other countries almost as a way of, like some people would call it extortion. Uh, it, it's controlling the market, certainly. Yeah. They are forcing foreign companies to build plants in their borders in yeah. order to do their thing. Right. And once money gets into China, it rarely gets out. Rarely gets China. out. Yes. So, um, so, so there's that. Uh, also, I, I did want to point out that a lot of the teams, the, the solar roadways teams ideas really aren't related to the solar part of the roadway at all, but are rather, you know, to the LEDs and the potential smart capacity of the system, which is another trillions of dollars more in mm-hmm. research and development and implementation. Sure. Yeah. You know, this is, again, we're talking about an enormous endeavor. And I guess you could argue that the, these early days are still to prove the concept is viable. And if, in fact, it is viable, maybe we see the rollout as an extremely gradual rollout. It would have to be. I mean, there's there's no magical manufacturing process that's going to turn these things out in the volume necessary to cover all the roads anyway. Oh, certainly not. But, you know, maybe for private practices, it could be a, you know, if, if a company wanted to pave their parking lot. Sure. Yeah, I could see this as being something that's used on a more modest scale. A lot of of the critics also say, why pour money into this particular project when we could use a similar approach to places that are not constantly covered by cars, like putting uh, solar panels along the sides of roads or on top of buildings? So in that sense, using this technology to... uh, in, in ways where you don't have the considerations of how do you do this without disrupting all traffic everywhere or putting things in danger or having a an infrastructure that has to be replaced frequently because of just the wear and tear. Sure. Uh, I'm curious about why a system of kinetic kinetic road plates hasn't received this kind of attention in the yeah. media. I, I mean, kinetic road plates would have their own issue because you're talking about transferring uh, kinetic motion from the car to the roadway. And unless you do it in a very, very smart way, you're just adding more work for the car to do. So it's just an you, you're not you're not generating more energy that way. You're actually spending the same amount of energy you would be capturing just in your car. Uh huh. 
you'd be collecting it in aggregate, but your car would have to work harder. So on each, yeah, it's a, this is why energy problems are hard <laughs> because they're big. <laughs> You know, you can look at one individual piece of an energy problem and you say, oh, if we just fix this, everything's fine. But then you have to step outside of that and look at a bigger picture. Right. And that's when it gets really complicated. So personally, I think the idea as presented is worth exploring at least to see how feasible it is and in what context. So I would be amazed if this actually becomes a viable means of replacing roads. I really would. I, I I think it's a neat idea. I just don't see it working. I, I would eat my proverbial hat. Yeah, it is proverbial. She is not wearing a hat because the headphones don't fit over hats. <laughs> um, yeah, I I'm, I'm I'm extremely dubious. You guys. I, yeah, um, I, I think it could potentially be something interesting for, you know, parking lots or paved uh, public spaces, sidewalks, it could sure. maybe be. But I mean, I think of the sidewalks I walk down and how the things like a, a tree growing ends up completely destroying the sidewalk in the matter of a couple of years. Uh-huh. And that's that's a, you know, regular old clay ceramic yeah. tile. Right. That, that doesn't have any, you know, fancy schmancy electronics in it. Poisonous electronics. Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, I think it's worth looking into because if nothing else, it means that we might get ideas for alternate approaches that could benefit yes. us up down the road. I just don't think this one's going to pay about, yeah. and, so to speak. And I certainly don't want to quash, uh, you know, scientific inquiry and yeah. and curiosity nor into do, nor do I want to... green areas and roadways. That's terrific. Yeah, and if any of you have contributed to this project, we're not even saying that that was a mistake. Not at all. What we're saying is that uh, don't buy into the hype wholeheartedly. Right. Go in with some skepticism, some critical thinking, and realize that even if this doesn't end up paying off in the implementation they're talking about, we could end up coming up with some really cool ideas that are similar to it and that we could benefit from other ways. Absolutely. Um, and, and who knows? Worst case scenario with our personal opinions is that we're wrong. And oh, it works. Yeah. And if it works, it's awesome. Actually, that's kind of a best case scenario, really, for yeah. the project. Like, I, I would take that. I, I would love to be proven wrong. That w- that's true. I would love that my skepticism turns out to be unwarranted and that the problems I foresee, like, I, I'm still trying to think of using a hexagonal system of tiles in areas that have lots of hills and valleys and turns in them that would require some pretty... You know, I mean, how do you get they, it? They to, also have trapezoidal half tiles. That's true. That's true. To to help so, with that. Yeah, just but it does make me no, wonder. Nonetheless, yeah. yeah. But but I would love to be proven wrong and to see that that this works perfectly because, you know, I want to drive around in Tron World or at least have my driverless car <laughs> take me around in Tron World. Oh yeah, me too. And if this ultimately did work out and we were also able to have electric vehicles everywhere and really cut back on that pollution, that'd be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, it's, some of their further ideas are to, you know, provide induction surfaces to let these this, this solar-powered roadway also directly charge your electric vehicle. As you drive it around. Yeah, that'd be... That's pretty awesome. That'd be pretty amazing. Yeah, essentially you have a car that you never have to refuel. Right. Um, th- this is a future... Or that can charge in a parking lot while you're, yeah. you know, while you're at Taco Bell or whatever. Oh, Taco Bell. Sorry, I said the Taco Bell word. My stomach's <laughs> been growling this whole podcast. Um, 
Yeah, I could eat like a king. I got like three bucks in my pocket. Uh, yeah, the, this is this is something that we would love to see happen. We just really think that it's a long shot. That doesn't mean it's not a long shot worth taking. Just be aware that the chances of success are are there. There are a lot of challenges in the way. Yes, that is so, a very diplomatic way of putting it. Yeah. Um, but hey, if you guys have any opinions about this, if you think that we are dead wrong or dead right, let yeah, us or, know. Or if you're if you're thinking like you guys didn't even address these 18 other concerns that I have that I think are the the barrier, or maybe you think, hey, you said that this was a concern, but here's how they're going to meet it. Yeah, we want to know all of that because this this is again one of those visions of the future that. We would love to see happen. Uh, we just don't know if it's possible. Let us know what you think. Come join the conversation on Facebook. That's a great place to, to start. Uh, you can let us know what you think on Twitter. You can let us know what you think on Tumblr. Our handle at all three of those is TechStuffHSW. We are working hard, I, I, I am told, on getting a new email address. If you've tried to email the old one, you probably got a message saying you should email techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And that's hypothetically true at the current moment uh, on June 12th. It is not set up yet, but hopefully yeah. by the time you listen to this, it will be operational. We sure hope so. Uh, if you get a message saying that it did not go through, don't fear. We haven't gone anywhere. Just send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr in the meantime. And then uh, we will let everyone know once we're absolutely certain that email address is up and running. We thank you for your patience. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, 
fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.